Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. His last words from the cross are, it is finished. And then his first words to his disciples after the resurrection are, peace be with you. What Jesus finishes on the cross is what makes peace possible. And in a word, theologians call it atonement. This word refers to Christ's work of bringing sinful humanity, you and I, into a right relationship with God, at at one-ment, bringing two disunified parties together in one unity. And the Bible says we need atonement desperately because, of course, of our sin. Sin might be thought of a, like an archer aiming an arrow and missing his mark. It assumes that human beings, you and I, we were made to relate to God and to one another and to his creation in a, in a certain way. Namely, mirroring God's own love and care. But instead, we decide to do what? To lie and to steal and murder and oppress and, and serve our st- ourselves instead of God and, and neighbor. And when we use the word sin, it can feel a little bit to some people, especially those who hadn't, haven't grown up in the church, kind of like an uptight religious word. But sin, sin has faces and sin has real victims. How can there be peace when there's still sin? I, the, the need for atonement is great because sin is great. It is, it is universal. It is serious. It is unsolvable, at least by us. And thinking about how sin is universal, I think of the famous quote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. I wrote these words from a Starbucks, and the homeless man who, who assaulted my son two years ago, sitting 20 feet to my right, and he's been in and out of rehab for two years, and he's drunk again, and he doesn't recognize me, and I don't want to cause a scene. Oh, there it is. The violence and hatred in my own heart springs up so easily. And this reality humbles me. It reminds me that the, this dark night, it was my sin that held him there, not just his. Sin is serious. I mean, the consequences of sin are horrific. After another school shooting in our community, a student from East High School tells the news, I can't even walk outside my house without feeling like I'm going to die or I'm going to get shot. That's the world we're living in. Sin ravages our planet, our emotions, our bodies. It, it haunts our streets, our schools. Our, it devastates families and cities and countries. It brings hell on earth. That's what sin does. And it seems unsolvable. I mean, on Monday, Thursday, yesterday, some of us were serving at Mean Street Ministries, and I sat with a woman named Hilda, we'll call her, an unhoused woman made in the image of God in our community. She was alternating between sobbing and mental lapses of reality and then of telling her story of her three kids who live in Florida, and she's hiding because someone from a violent gang is after her. Oh, and by the way, she's pregnant. Who can possibly untangle all these knots? Is there any solution to all this? 
Yale philosopher Nicholas Wolsterstoff puts the problem of sin this way. He says, we've overcome, when we have overcome, absence with phone calls and winglessness with airplanes and summer heat with air conditioning. When we have overcome all these and much more besides, there will abide two things with which we must cope, the evil in our hearts and sin and death. What do we do? This universal, serious, radical cancer requires an equally universal and serious and radical response. Christ's atonement is the beginning of this response. As we look upon Christ's atoning work on the cross, it's sort of like we're looking at a jewel and we're turning it over and we're examining the different facets. I want to look at three quickly tonight. The first facet of the jewel of the atonement is, is what's called the Christus Victor view of the atonement. It sees Christ as the victory over all powers of evil. On the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death and the devil. Satan is like a, like a frenzied fish who bites this hook, and the hook is Christ's flesh. And in doing so, he swallows life itself into the pit of death. And there, Jesus, the shining light of life, frees those trapped in darkness. Jesus' death on the cross is like a sponge that absorbs all the full measure of evil, emptying it of its power. And that's why Christians sing, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sin, death, and the devil, these are very serious enemies, and they are very strong, but Christ is stronger. The cross is sort of like, it's cut the head off the snake, and the ongoing seriousness of sin that we now see in ourselves and in the world, they're, they're like a thrashing, defeated enemy. Perhaps the enemy is made more desperate because it's been dealt a fatal wound and it's desperate, but the deadly wound has been delivered. The cross was like a sword held, held at the hilt of heaven and it, 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 cleaving death itself. The seriousness of sin is not too much for the strength of our Savior, which means someday all wrongs will be righted and every sad thing will become untrue. And so Jesus cries, it is finished. There is peace even when the snake thrashes, knowing Christ has already won. And so maybe we can have peace. And the second facet, probably the most prominent, is the substitutionary view of the atonement. The cross of Christ is Jesus voluntarily receiving the just punishment that your sins and my sins deserve. The entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament is like an arrow pointing to this. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. Hebrews 10 peers into both these facets of the atonement. It reads this way, beginning in verse 11. Speaking now of the Old Covenant system, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, over and over again, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It's a band-aid. It's an unsolvable problem, you see. Unsolvable, if not for the next three words. But when Christ... But when Christ, being fully man who owed God the debt, and being fully God who alone could pay the debt, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Victory. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The cross means that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. 
for the universal, serious, previously unsolvable problem of sin? Because the Lamb of God has given His blood more precious than gold. There is no longer a single penny that could be paid. The debt is paid. Or would you insult the preciousness of his sacrifice by not trusting its sufficiency? The old hymn reminds us, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And so Jesus cries, It is finished. No matter how serious your sin is, his sacrifice is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. There's a fountain of forgiveness with Christ that never runs dry. Therefore, maybe we can have peace. And finally, theologians call this last view of the atonement the the moral influence view of the atonement, which is a coldly academic title for a truth that really can set the heart aflame. As we peer into this facet, we look at the cross in order to behold the sacrificial love of God, which melts our hearts and then disposes us to love others the same way. Now, in truth, this is not properly speaking an atonement theory because what makes atonement so beautiful is that only God can do it. We're powerless to do it ourselves. Nevertheless, as we behold his atoning work, is your heart not softened? If sin hardens me, and it does, beholding the suffering of Christ for my sin softens me. Behold the cross tonight. Allow your heart, like a, like a piece of tarnished metal, to be softened and melted and ultimately reforged by his love. The love that has loved you and I quite literally to death. Look at Jesus of the scars, as the poem goes. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Look upon our wounded God and see in his bleeding hands and in his side the unflinching commitment that he has to love you to death. Friends, this Good Friday, hear his cry, it is finished. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And tonight we behold our God, our Savior, our friend, Jesus, bleeding with love for us, his friends. I'm going to pretend that the atonement offers easy answers for all of our sin and darkness and the death we face. The atonement happens and we, we sort of work it out for a lifetime. But the facets of this jewel at least bring us back to this beautiful truth. In Christ, God himself is your victor. He is your Savior, and He is your friend. He is your victor, He is your Savior, and He is your friend. Jesus, we confess to you this night that we don't know what to do with ourselves in all this darkness. It hurts us, it it haunts us. Sometimes we wonder if we too might be forsaken. Would you plant your cross in our hearts that we may behold you with us in this darkness. You who are victorious, who are our Savior, who who are our, our dearest friend. Thank you for the cross. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. 
For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.